0: CHAPTER Twenty Four OF THE WITNESS BY GRACE LIVINGSTON HILL This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Heela's note came to Courtland as a happy surprise. He had not expected to see her until the next evening. Not that he had brooded much over the matter. He was too busy and too sanely healthy to do that. Besides, he was only as yet questioning within himself whether he was going to fall in love the sensation so far was exceedingly pleasurable, and he was ready for the whole thing when it should arrive and prove itself, but at present he was just in that quiescent stage when everything seemed significant and delightfully interesting. He had firmly resolved that the next time he saw Gila he would tell her of his own heart experience with regard to the presence. He realized that he must go carefully and not shock her, for he had begun to see that all her prejudices would be against taking any stock in such an experience he had only so shortly himself come from a like position that he could well understand her extreme views her what amounted almost to repugnance toward hearing anything about it but he would make her see the whole thing just as he had seen it now gila had no notion of allowing any such recital as courtland was planning she had her stage all set for entirely another scene and she had on her most charming mood she was wearing a little frock of pale blue wool so simple that a child of ten might have worn it under a white ruffled apron the neck was decorated with soft kerchief-like collar not even a pin marred the simplicity of her costume her hair too was simpler than usual almost carrying out the childish idea with its soft looping away from the face little heelless black satin slippers were tied with narrow black ribbons quaintly crossed and recrossed over the slim blue silk ankles carrying out the charming idea of a modest simple maiden nothing could be more coy and charming than the way she swept her long black lashes down upon her pearly cheeks her great eyes, when they were lifted, were clear and limpid. As a baby's, Courtland was fairly carried off his feet at sight of her, and felt his blood bound in reassurance. This must be love. He had fallen in love at last, he who had scorned the idea so long and laughed at the other fellows, until he had really begun to have doubts in his own heart whether the delightful illusion would ever come to him. The glamour was about gila to-night and no mistake he looked at her with his heart in his eyes and she drooped her lashes to hide a glint of triumph knowing she had chosen her setting aright at last softly dreamily pleasantly in the back of her mind floated the capital of the nation and herself standing amid admiring throngs receiving homage she was going to succeed she had achieved her first triumph with a look in Cortland's eyes. She would be able to carry out Mr. Ramsay Thomas's commission, and win Courtland to anything that would forward ambitious hopes for him. She was sure of it. The very important business about which she had wished to see Courtland was to ask him if he would be her partner in a bazaar and pageant that was shortly to be given for some charitable purpose by the society folks with whom she companioned she wanted courtland to march with her and to consult him about the characters they should choose and the costumes they should wear as if she had been a child desiring him to play with her he yielded to her mood watching her all the time with delighted eyes that anything so exquisite and lovely should stoop to sue for his favor of course he would be her partner he entered into the arrangements with a zest though he let her do all the planning and heeded little what character she had chosen for him or what costume so she was pleased indeed his part in the matter seemed a little moment so he might go with her his sweet shy lovely maiden for so she seemed to him that night a perfect solvigne. The only reason for the little slippers became apparent later, when she insisted upon teaching him the dancing steps that were to be used in a final splendid assembly after the pageant. There was intoxication in the delight of moving with her through the dreamy steps to the music of the expensive Victrola she set going, just to watch her little feet like fairies for lightness and grace, to touch her small warm hand, to be so near those down-drooping lashes. TO FEEL HER BREATH ON HIS HAND, TO THINK OF HER AS TRUSTING HER LOVELY LITTLE SELF TO HIM, MADE HIM ALMOST DELIRIOUSLY HAPPY. AND SHE, WITH HER DROOPING LASHES, HER DELICATE WAY OF BARELY TOUCHING HIS ARM, HER UTTER SEEMING UNCONSCIOUSNESS OF HIS PRESENCE, WAS SO EXQUISITE AND PURE AND LOVELY TONIGHT she did not dream of course of how she made his pulses thrill and how he was longing to gather her into his arms and tell her how lovely she was afterward he was never quite sure what kept him from doing it he thought at the time it was herself a sort of wall of purity and loveliness that surrounded her and made her sacred so that he felt he must go slowly must not startle her nor make her afraid of him it never occurred to him that the wall might be surrounding himself he had entirely forgotten that first visit to gila in the Mestophelian garments with the red light filling all the unholy atmosphere there had never been so much as a hint of a red light in the room since he said he did not like it the lampshade seemed to have disappeared in its place was a great wrought metal thing of old silver jewelled with opalescent medallions but it was part of the deliberate intention of gila to lead him on and yet hold him at a distance she had read him aright he was a man with an old-fashioned ideal of women and the citadel of his heart was only to be taken by such a woman therefore she would be such a woman until she had won after that what mattered it let time plan the issue she would have attained her desire but the down drooping lashes hid no unconscious sweetness there was sinister gleam in those eyes as she looked at herself over his shoulder when they passed the great mirror set in a cabinet door there was deliberate intention in the way the little hand lay lightly in the strong one there was not a movement of the dreamy dance she was teaching him not a touch of the little satin slipper that did not have its nicely calculated intention to draw him on the sooner she could make him yield and crush her to him the sooner he declared his passion for her that much nearer would her ambitions be to their fulfilment yet she must be very sure that she had him close in her toils before she discovered to him her purpose so the little blue puritan-like spider threw her silver gossamer web about him tangling more and more his big fine manly heart and flinging diamond dust and powder made of charms and incantations in his eyes to blind him but as yet she knew not of the presence that was now his constant companion they had danced for some time floating about in the pure delight of the motion together and the nearness of each other when it seemed to courtland as if of a sudden a cooling hand was laid on his feverish brow and a calm came to his spirit like a beloved voice calling his name with the accent that is sure of quick response it was so he remembered what he had come to tell Gila. Looking down to that exquisite bit of humanity, almost within his embrace, a great tenderness for her and a longing came over him, to make her know now all that the presence was becoming to him. "'Gila!' he whispered, and his voice was full of thrill. "'Let's sit down a while. There is something I want to tell you.' Instantly she responded, lifting great innocent eyes, with one quick sweep to his face, so moved and tender, and gliding toward the couch where they might sit together, settling down on it, almost nestling to him, then remembering, and drawing away shyly to more perfectly play her part. She thought she knew what he was going to say. She thought she saw the love-light in his eyes, and it was so dazzling it almost blinded her. It frightened her a little, too, like the love in no lover's eyes that had ever drawn her down to whisper love to her before. She wondered if it was because she really cared herself so much now that it seemed so different. But he did not take her in his arms as she had expected him to do, though he sat quite near and spoke in a low, privileged tone as one would do who had the right. His arm was across the back of the couch behind her. He sat sideways, turned toward her, and he still touched reverently the little hand he had been holding as they danced together. "'Gila, I have a story to tell you,' he said. "'Until you know it, you can never understand me fully, and I want with all my heart to have you understand me. It is something that has become a part of me.' She sat quivering, wondering, half fearful. A gleam of jealousy came into her averted face was he going to tell her about another girl? A fierce, unreasoning anger shot across her face. She would not tolerate the thought that anyone had had him before, was it? It couldn't be that baby-faced pauper in the hospital. She drew her slim little body up tensely and waited for the story. Courtland told the story of Stephen. Told it well and briefly. He pictured Stephen so that the girl must needs admire no woman could have heard that description of a man such as stephen had been and not bow her woman's heart and wish that she might have known him gila listened fascinated even up to the moment of the fire and the tragedy when stephen fell into the flames she shuddered visibly several times but sat tense and still and listened she even was unmoved when courtland went on to tell of finding himself on a ledge above the burning mass CREEPING SOMEHOW INTO A SMALL HAVEN, SHUT IN BY A WALL OF SMOKE, AND FEELING THAT THIS WAS THE END. BUT WHEN HE BEGAN TO TELL OF THE PRESENCE, THE LIGHT, THE VOICE, THE GIRL GAVE A SUDDEN START AND GRIPPED HER COLD HANDS TOGETHER. ALMOST imperceptibly, SHE DREW HER TENSE LITTLE BODY AWAY FROM HIM, AND TURNED SLOWLY TILL SHE FACED HIM, HORROR AND CONSTERNATION IN HER EYES, UTTER UNBELIEF AND SCORN ON HER LIPS. But still she did not speak still held her gaze on him and listened while he told of coming back to life the hospital walls the strange emptiness and the presence the recovery and the presence still with him the going here and there and finding the presence always before him and yet with him he is here in this room with us gila he said simply as if he had been telling her that he had brought her some flowers and he hoped she would like them then suddenly gila gave a spring away from him to her feet uttered a wild scream of terror and burst into angry tears courtland sprang to his feet in dismay and instant contrition he had made the horror of the fire too dramatic he had not realized how dreadful it would be to a woman's delicate sensibilities this gentle loving girl had felt it all to her soul and her nerves had given way before the reality of it he had been an idiot to tell the story in that bald way he should have gone about it more gently he was not used to women he must learn better would she forgive him and now indeed he had her in his arms although he was utterly unaware of it he was trying to comfort and soothe her as he would soothe a little child who had been frightened not only his handkerchief but his hands were called into requisition to charm away those tears and comfort the pitiful little face that looked so streaked and pink and helpless there against his shoulder. He wanted to stoop and lay his lips on those trembling ones. Perhaps Gila thought he would, but he would not take advantage of her moment of helplessness. Not until she was herself and could give him permission would he avail himself of that sacred privilege. Now it was the part of a man to comfort her without any element of self in the matter. When he had drawn her down upon the couch again, with the sobs still shaking her soft blue-and-white frilly breast, her blue-black hair all damp and tossed upon her temples, and tried to tell her how sorry he was that he had put her through the horrors of that fire, she put in a quivering protest. "'It was not the fire,' she shivered. "'It was not the horror and the smoke. "'It was not Stephen's death.' Nor the danger to himself. It was not any of those that had unnerved her. It was that awful other thing he had said. That ghostly, ghastly, uncanny, dreadful story of a presence. She almost shrieked again as she said it, and she shivered away from him, as if still there was something cold and clammy in his touch that gave her the horrors. A cold disappointment settled down upon him. She had not understood. He looked at her, troubled, disappointed, baffled. It was not possible, then, for him to bring her this knowledge that he wished so much for her to have. It was a thing that one could tell about to one's friends, but could not give them. It was something they must take for themselves, must feel, and see by themselves. With new illumination he turned to her, and said in a voice wonderfully tender for a man so young, "'Listen, Hela. I have been clumsy in telling you you cannot see it just from my poor story but he will come to you and you shall see him for yourself i will ask him to come to you as he has to me again that piercing scream and with a quick lithe movement almost like a serpent she slid from his side and stood quivering in the middle of the room her eyes flashing her body shrieking both little hands clenched at her throat stop she cried stop and screamed again stamping her foot i won't hear such horrible things i won't have any spirits coming around me i won't see them do you understand i hate that present and i hate you when you talk like that she had worked herself into a fine tantrum but there was behind it all a horrible fear and shrinking from the christ he had described the shrinking of the naked soul in the garden from its god the drooping childlike eyes were wide with horror now the sweet innocent mouth was trembling with emotion she was anything but solvine like if courtland caught a glimpse of the real gila through it all he laid it to his own clumsy way of handling the delicate mystery of a girl's shy nature he saw she was wrought up beyond her control and he was so far under the illusion that he blamed himself only and set himself to calm her he coaxed her to sit down again, put his strong hand on her quivering one, marveling in tenderness at its smallness and softness. He talked to her in quiet, soothing tones, grave and reassuring. He promised he would talk no more about the presence till she was ready to hear. He was leaning toward her in his strength, his arm behind her, his hand on her shoulder with a sheltering, comforting touch when he told her this, as one would treat a little child in trouble." and suddenly, like the sun flashing out from behind the clouds, she lifted up her teary face and smiled, nestling toward him, her head falling down on his shoulder with a sigh, like a tired, satisfied child, her face lifted temptingly, so close, so very close to his. It was then that he did the thing that bound him to what followed. He stooped and laid his lips upon her warm little trembling ones, and kissed her the thrill that shot through him was like the click of shackles snapping shut about one's wrist like the turning of the key in a prison house the shooting of the bolt to one's dark cell he held her there and touched her soft hair with his fingertips, touched her cool little forehead with his lips touched her warm soft lips again and felt the thrill but something was the matter he felt the surging forces within him rise and batter at the gate of his self-control he wanted to say gila i love you but the words stuck in his throat what had he done whence came this sense of defeat and loss the presence where was the presence yes there but withdrawn standing apart in sadness while he sat comforting and caressing one who had just said she hated him but that was because she had not seen him yet. She was frightened because she did not understand. He would yet be able to make her see. He would implore the presence to come to her, to break down her prejudice, to let her have the vision also. So he sat and comforted her, yet longed to get away and think it out. This sense of depression and bitter disappointment hung about him like a burden, now, of all times, when he should be happy, if ever he was to be. But gila was nestling close patting his sleeve talking little sweet nonsensical words as if she had really been the little child she seemed he looked down at her and smiled how small she was and childlike he must remember that she was very young and probably had never had much bringing up serious things frightened her he must go gently and lead her it made him feel old and responsible to look at her tender beautiful girl enveloped as she was in the garment of his ideal of womanhood yet there was something about it all that drove him from her he must think it out and come to some clear understanding with himself as it was it seemed to him as if he were trying to take peace within himself while before him lay a lot of his own broken vows he had vowed to himself to bring her to the christ and he had not accomplished it instead she had declared she hated him and the presence both yet here he sat making love to her and ignoring it all he felt a distinct weakness in himself but did not know how to remedy it when he finally got away from gila and walked furvishly toward the university he felt as if his soul was crying out within him for a solution of the perplexities in which he was involved by his side walked a friend but there seemed to be a veil between them. Ever mingling with his thoughts came the sweet, tear-wet face of Gila, with its solving look, pleading up at him from the mist of the evening, luring him, as it were, to forget the Christ. He passed his hand wearily over his eyes, told himself that he had been through a good deal that evening, and his nerves were not as strong as they used to be since the fire he was surprised to find that it was still early when he got back to his room barely half past nine yet it had seemed as if it must be near midnight so much had happened what he would have thought if he could have known that at that very minute tennelly was seated in the chair in the library that he had so lately vacated and gila posing bewitchingly in the firelight merrily talking him over is hard to say not that they were saying anything against him, of course not. Tennelly would never have stood for that, and Gila knew better. But Gila had no intention of giving Tennelly any idea how far matters had gone between herself and Courtland. As for Tennelly, he would have been the most amazed of the three if he could have known all. He had been Courtland's intimate friend for so many years, years count like ages when one is in college, that he thought he knew him perfectly. He would have sworn to it that Courtland's friendship with Hela had not progressed further than a mere first stage of friendship. He admitted that Gila had an influence over his friend, but that it had really gone heart-deep seemed impossible. Courtland was a man of too much force, even young as he was, and too much maturity of thought to be permanently entangled with a girl like Hela. That was what Tennelly thought before Gila had turned her eyes toward him, and flung a few of her silver gossamer threads about his soul. For always in those first days of his visits to Gila it had been in Cortland's behalf, first to see if she was good enough for a friend of his friend, and next to get her partnership in the scheme of turning Courtland's thoughts away from morbid things. But that night, for the first time, Tennelly saw the Solvine in Gila, and was stirred on his own account. The childish blue frock and the simple frilled kerchief did their work with his high soul as well, and he sat charmed and watched her. After all, there was more to her than he had thought, or else she was a consummate actress. So Tennelly sat late before the fire, till Hela knew that he would turn aside again often to see her for himself, and then she let him go. End of chapter 24 Recording by Scarlet, Louisiana